The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. Today we bring you a very special episode of the podcast. First, we're going to be joined by White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre for a short conversation focusing on the issue of abortion and what the Biden administration is doing to protect abortion rights access in this country and also We are joined by the second lady of Pennsylvania, Giselle Fetterman, the wife of Lieutenant Governor and Senate candidate in Pennsylvania, John Fetterman. Joining us on the phone is White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre for a quick conversation this morning focusing on the issue of abortion. Thank you so much for being here today. Hey, Zorlina. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to all your listeners. Thank you for having me. I'm so grateful uh, for you joining. And it's such an important moment um, in American history. We're just a couple of weeks away from a very important midterm election. But I wanted to start off talking about issues. Um, and the most, uh, I think, uh, hot topic right now is the issue of abortion. And you've seen on the state level, after the Dobbs decision, so many different states um, implement statewide bans and different restrictions on abortions. The administration um, has responded in a number of different ways. And I want you to just lay out for our listeners at home this morning what the administration has done since the Dobbs decision um, was uh, handed down and the ruling came down, and also the plan going forward um, to protect the right to bodily autonomy and reproductive health care. Well, thank you. Uh, Thank you for this opportunity, because to your point, it is incredibly critical and important that we have this conversation uh, and we talk about the realities of a decision that was made uh, by the Supreme Court um, just this past June uh, that will take the rights away and has taken the right away of millions of women. And as you mentioned, uh, you see what state legislatures have been doing across the country. Look, since day one, uh, the president has been very aggressive in taking actions uh, within his authority uh, to, to protect women and their ability to make their own health uh, care decisions. And that is so important here as well. To, to, it, it should be their decision. These are difficult decisions that women have to make. Um, look, ultimately, the most critical thing that we can do at the federal level is to codify Roe. And uh, uh, which will, which he believes and which he wants to make sure that we renew, uh, we renew an, a, a, our call uh, on Congress uh, to make sure that we do that. Look, a couple of things that I'll just lay out on what the president has, has done uh, is the Department of Education released guidance uh, to colleges and universities, uh, reminding them of their obligation under Title X to protect students from discrimination uh, based on pregnancy-related conditions, including termination of pregnancy, uh, HIV, 
HHS, uh, the, the agency within the federal government, uh, awarded $6 million in new grants to protect access to affordable, uh, equality, family planning service and other preventive health care, including contraception, uh, because we know that is also uh, online as well, uh, uh, contraception, as we know from this decision that was made. And all of these things that I just list out builds on what the president did very early on when these decision was decided on, which he did two presidential uh, executive orders that directed at safeguarding access to abortion and contraception and protecting number two is protecting access to emergency medicare including access to abortion when it, it is an emergency and the third thing was supporting patients uh, traveling out of state for medical care those are the actions that he took uh, right away but again it is going to be so important for people to put their get their voices out there across the country uh, as the vice president has been doing for months and we have to take this incredibly seriously you mentioned that it's a personal decision, and I, I, I can't help but hone in on that um, because of the Clarence Thomas concurring opinion in the Dobbs case, which essentially set uh, the stage for more rights to be stripped away, including marriage equality and other privacy rights. Um, when it comes to protecting those rights, what can the administration do in the future um, to shore up those rights on the federal level um, in the event that there is a case that strips away those rights in the future? Well, that's why he's called on his Department of Justice to look into those uh, specific rights. When you think about privacy rights, uh, when you think about what I just laid out, women who are able to cross into another state mm -hmm. to make sure that they can make these difficult decisions, uh, to, uh, to take legal action. So we have uh, taken that incredibly seriously. But, you know, Zerlina, you just said something that I really want to just call out here, how, how intensely personal these situations are, these decisions are are the most difficult decisions to make in most difficult circumstances. When you think about women living in abuse, when you think about a 10 year old who, who's been a 10 year old rape survivor, when you think about women who learn, for example, uh, in the second trimester that their baby will not survive, these are personal decisions. These are not abstract stories. And so this is the thing that folks have to understand. And meanwhile, you have extreme Republicans just across the country who are talking about a national ban, a national ban that would take personal decisions away from millions of women. And also, let's not forget, it would jail doctors from providing that critical medical care as well. Very important points. I want to talk about inflation because in a lot of ways, I think um, when we talk about the economy, we only want one more minute left. But yeah. when we talk about the economy, I think we focus on inflation. We talk about gas prices. But I see abortion and family planning as also, as an economic issue that families are considering um, you know, in a bucket with all of these other things. Does the administration see the, ac the abortion access conversation as an economic, one about economics, and how um, can the administration ensure that it is included <laughs> in the conversation when we're talking about all of these t uh, kitchen table issues people mm -hmm. are dealing with every day? And that's a really good question because, look, like I said, these are very personal uh, decisions that uh, women have to make and families have to make 
uh, when it comes to abortion. Uh, and what we are going to make sure is to do to make sure that contraception is available, uh, that the that um, that uh, the the you know the abortion pills are, are available, so that people can make those decisions. You know, there are mothers out there who have life. Uh, threatening complications who make mm -hmm. difficult decisions so they can continue to care for their children they already have right mm -hmm. and so um so for many families it is it is an economic decision uh and so what we want to make sure is that we are protecting women the best that we can from the authority uh, that the president has but at the, the end of the day we have to make sure that people get their voices out uh, we have to make sure that we have congress uh you know we have members of Congress that is going to uh, codify roads. That's how we make sure that women uh, get protected here. Very important conversation. Thank you so much, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre, for taking um, a few moments at the beginning of the day uh, to join us this morning and have a really uh, deep dive conversation about abortion this morning. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Thank it's you. It's so terrific to have you. Please stay safe. Thank you. You too. Appreciate you. So that was White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. And joining us now is the second lady of Pennsylvania and wife of Senate candidate John Fetterman, the lieutenant governor, Giselle Fetterman. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So I, I'm so grateful uh, you were able to join us on the show because one of the things we've been discussing on the show since last week um, is a conversation that has been percolating because um, your husband did an interview with NBC News where accessibility um, came up um, as uh, he is recovering from a stroke and, uh, you know, needs closed captioning um, in this particular moment as a, an accessibility option. Um, and it, it seems strange to me, as somebody who cares very much about disability um, issues and accessibility issues, like this is the thing that we were just talking to Aijin Boo from the Domestic Workers Alliance about the, you know, need for um, home health care workers. So this is an issue very close to my heart. And I felt like the media was missing um, some important points when it comes to the fact that the need for closed captioning like has nothing to do with your ability to be a senator <laughs> so can you can right. you just give me a, <laughs> you know your reaction both as the wife of a candidate but also um as somebody speaking on behalf of the campaign um in reaction to to the coverage of just the need for closed captioning as if that is like the biggest deal ever <laughs> Right. Like, and also as someone who really cares about justice, right? Like, I think that was the, the key part. It wasn't necessarily personal to me because it was my husband. It was just such an injustice. And I thought there was such a, a powerful opportunity to normalize, you know, a, accommodations, talk about technology, improving lives. And it could have gone so differently. And I think the journalists and the network missed such an incredible opportunity um, to educate, to normalize, to do justice to the disability community. And I think that's what they missed. And that's what was sad to me because it wasn't injustice, I think, how it was handled. What could they have done? So, so what would it have sounded like to actually talk about accessibility issues? Um, are, you know, is that something that you're talking about on the campaign trail, you know, as you've had to navigate something that, you know, was unexpected? You know, a stroke is something that um, happens all of a sudden. It is an emergency you know, in the blink of an eye um, and and 
these issues become top of mind for you. Accessibility becomes top of mind because of what has happened. Um, how is that um, coming up on the campaign trail? And are you having those conversations as you speak to voters um, during the course of your travels? Yeah, I mean, every four seconds, someone has a stroke, right? So it, this time it was our family. Many other families will be affected as well. And accommodation tools in, even include things like glasses, mm -hmm. right? And I think people don't are, are looking at it as this completely separate category where the, the media had an opportunity to, to educate and to show that this is actually like someone who needs a cane. And I think the the, the misstep, I think, what I felt was a disservice to disability community, and not just me, a lot of disability rights activists spoke out against it as well, was that imagine this was someone who used a cane or a wheelchair, and imagine a journalist saying, oh, without their wheelchair, they were not able to walk towards me. <laughs> I mean, I think if you frame mm -hmm. it that way, I think most people get it, right? And that's what was done. Um, he, this was a tool that he needs right now in his recovery. Um, he will make a full recovery, but right now this is an accommodation that's needed. And when the, the network said we were happy to accommodate, well, it's not a favor, right? This is a civil rights issue. Um, and I thought this was a great opportunity for the station to say, okay, we need to regroup. We need mm -hmm. to work on training. We need to be teachable, right? Because we should all be teachable. Um, and I think that's where the mark was missed. Oh, how the media does not like to uh, be te taught anything. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I come into the media from the political side of things, working on campaigns for Obama and Hillary Clinton. So I am, I'm somebody who I can be taught. I'm very open to being taught because I don't see myself. I, I like, I went to law school. Like, I don't think of myself as like the unapproachable reporter that stands firmly in my objectivity. Like I've never lived life. Like I, I, I don't think of my job that right. way. I'm a little bit different than some of the other folks and that's okay. Um, and we appreciate I, that. <laughs> but, but I think, but I think in moments like this, it comes up because I'm able to sort of be more, um, introspective and look at maybe I could do better in this area. How can I cover this issue um, in, in a more comprehensive and accurate way? In in terms of thinking through the issues going into election day, Pennsylvania, incredibly important state. A lot of a lot of states right now, top of mind: Arizona, Pennsylvania, Georgia. Um, and you know you're you're dealing with candidates. Um, in Pennsylvania, you're running against Dr. Oz uh, of crudite fame, um, but also <laughs> you, you have um, on, on the statewide ballot, um, Doug Mastriano, an election denier. There are a lot of different elements that are incredibly concerning going into this midterm election. And my question is, how do you see uh, your husband's um, strengths going into election day? What are the things that sets him apart um, from Dr. Oz that make him the right choice for Senate in the state of Pennsylvania right now? Oh my gosh, well, where do I start? I mean, <laughs> I, democracy is on the line and we have, you know, a gubernatorial candidate who is a dangerous person and we have a Senate candidate who's a dangerous person. These men want to completely do away with abortion entirely. Uh, they don't believe the minimum wage should increase. They uh, don't believe in the Equality Act. I mean, these are, you know, uh, uh, voter rights. I mean, you name it, and they couldn't be more different, both Josh Shapiro and Doug Mastriano and my husband and Dr. Oz. Um, this is someone who has killed puppies. I mean, uh, <laughs> you, you say these things and you don't think it's real life, but these are all 
real stories. And this is actually someone who wants to oversee our state and make decisions that would impact millions of people. And, and that terrifies me. Killed puppies. I mean, that that's just that I have to marinate on that because I, you know, I saw that. But I think, you know, when you hear it again, you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> that is very I, problematic. <laughs> um, the, the, the other the other thing that came up and I made a joke about it, um, but the crudite moment. Um, I don't even know how you say it because like I'm saying it, I think, as a joke. <laughs> I started saying it kind of as a joke. And now I'm like, how do you actually pronounce? I don't even know. Um, but one of the things I think most people know is that you buy that in a platter at the grocery store. I don't know who goes to the aisle where the vegetables are and buys the carrot and buy the celery. Like no one does that at all. Like if you're actually making that, like I've never seen anybody like pick up the salsa, first of all, from the vegetable aisle and say like, <laughs> I'm going to like put all and like who puts it with salt? I mean, it was, there were so many confusing things about that clip. However, one of the things that it highlighted is that, you know, there's a lot of performance in it, there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of performing going on when it comes to um, how many of the Republicans, including Dr. Oz, are running in this election cycle and trying to bring up issues like inflation and gas prices and the high prices on groceries and other essential items in terms of the plans um and policies that your husband supports to tackle some of those issues. Can you lay that out for us just so that we can have the counter narrative to the crudite moment? <laughs> Absolutely. And just to add to that moment is that I think what we saw is that this is someone who has never gone grocery shopping on his own, <laughs> right? So how do you connect to a regular person, a normal Pennsylvanian, if you've actually never done your own grocery shopping? I think that was like the highlight of that of that clip. And that was you know, really difficult to watch, but they thought they had a winner, right? They're like, this is a great video. (laughs) We're going to put it out into the world. (laughs) But also like, you know, in addition to never likely have having done his own shopping ever, um, there was a video this week where he says, you know, groceries should actually be more expensive and we should be, you know, meat should be $90 a pound, right? And I guess if you've never gone grocery shopping, you don't really know the prices of things or what's normal, but, you know, simple things like passing the PRO Act, right, which would protect unions, unions built the middle class, unions support families, Um, you know, our uh, opposition does not support that. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, we talk about like Republican legislator and, you know, legislation and, you know, save the babies and, you know, their whole abortion conversation, which really just centers around power. they have voted against anything that would have supported actual families, right? All the, the bills that were put out that they voted against, most cases unanimously, um, odds would be one more person voting against any progress in this country. When you lay it out that way, um, it's it's very, very clear. The other thing that I've been thinking a lot about um, as we, we head into the midterm elections, I was talking to White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre this morning. Uh, the president is doing a speech today Um, later today about abortion, focusing on that issue um, in the wake of the Dobbs decision. And in Pennsylvania, it's it's kind of a mixed bag. You know, it's not one of the states where we think about them first uh, when it comes to abortion restrictions. You know, we're not thinking about Pennsylvania in the same way we're thinking about Texas. But should we be? Because Pennsylvania is a very diverse state demographically. I mean, there's that, I think, a famous quote that it's like Philadelphia, Pittsburgh with Alabama in the middle, something like that. Um, Yes, and I hate that quote. (laughs) I know. I I was like, I don't even know if that's the full quote or if that's accurate, but I I knew it was something like that. I think it's like James Carville (laughs) said that. Um, But but in terms of the, the terrain of abortion rights and access in the state of Pennsylvania, 
where does the campaign see, um, you know, the access being stripped away? What are the threats out there in terms of future access to contraception and plan B that may be under assault in the state of Pennsylvania, um, given, you know, whatever makeup of the state house um, happen is, is left after, after these midterm elections and how will sent a Senator John Fetterman um, be a part of a Senate that works to protect those rights for Pennsylvanians? Yeah, well, so, you know, our legislators voted against contraception, right? So they're anti-abortion, but you also can't use contraception. And, you know, I say make it make sense because mm -hmm. it doesn't, um, you know, John would work to end the filibuster and codify Roe. That would be, you know, a priority. Um, but we should be afraid of Pennsylvania like we are of Texas. Um, and I think abortion is just the beginning. It's not the floor. This is where they're starting and they're going to keep going. You know, marriage equality is going to be on the line. My husband was the first and only elected official in the state of Pennsylvania to marry a same-sex couple when it was still illegal. You know, this is someone who has always stood on the right side of history, even under threats of arrest, even standing alone. Um, and abortion would be one more fight that he would take on. It, it feels to me like, you know, as you said, Pennsylvania is not Texas yet, but it could be. And I think that, you know, that's one of the realities a lot of voters need to keep in mind as they go out and participate in this midterm election is that, you know, the state house, the makeup of the state house now in your state may be one way, but it may change. And so you want to make sure that your voice is heard on both the federal level in these Senate and House races, but also importantly in these state statewide races as well. And when I, even you know, school boards. Yes. School oh, boards my gosh. Really so, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Imagine a world in which like school board races became like, you know, really, really feisty, like the, you know, the, the big story. Mm -hmm. But but that is the reality we're living through right now. And as I mentioned earlier, um, Doug, Doug Mastriano running on the statewide ballot in the state of Pennsylvania for governor, you're running against Dr. Oz. And I mentioned some of the, the threats out there because. It feels like emer uh, an emergency for American democracy. And it feels that way because we had a whole insurrection um, at the Capitol. We had an attack on the Capitol, and we're still living through the consequences and hopefully the process of accountability for everybody that participated and planned that attack on our government. When you think about the threats posed by um, Republicans, including Dr. Oz running for the Senate, in terms of the future, of American democracy. Do you see Dr. Oz as a threat to that? Do you see Dr. Oz as someone who would um, be in line with the former president who, you know, for all intents and purposes, directed the folks to go attack the Capitol on that day and, according to Cassidy, Cassidy Hutchinson, wanted to drive himself and join them? Absolutely. I mean, he accepted his not his endorsement proudly. He also is on video recently saying that there isn't enough information on the insurrection. We don't, we don't have enough information yet. We need to still, you know, research. Um, and uh, he would absolutely be lock and step with Donald Trump. Important. Another topic that has been in the news, and Dr. Oz has honed in on this issue um, a lot in, in attacks against uh, your husband, and that's the issue of crime. We were talking about that earlier in the show. One of our callers called in and we were having a robust discussion about dog whistles <laughs> uh, and mm -hmm. the ways in which crime and, you know, even even attacking a phrase like defunding the police um, is a dog whistle to certain uh, communities and neighborhoods. In, in this case, I would imagine 
Philadelphia suburbs, <laughs> you know, could be um, a target for messaging like that. What is the campaign's response to those attacks coming from the Dr. Oz campaign about, you know, how Democrats are basically soft on crime is basically the narrative they've been pushing for decades now. But it's also coming up in this election cycle because, um, you know, there there is a increase in crime in some parts of the country. Um, but I think that labeling and tarring Democrats with being soft on crime, you know, that sounds a particular way to me. Does it to the campaign? And what is the response uh, to that line of attack? Yeah, I mean, they've been doing it for decades, like you said, I think it's uh, obviously lucky in creativity, but they, you know, have seen in, in some ways how it could work. But the reality is we, we battle that with the truth, you know, eight out of 10 states with the highest murder rates voted Republican. That's the reality, right? <laughs> that's a statistic. That's not a Democratic talking point. That's, that's math. So, you know, we push back with the truth. Uh, we have to push back hard because, you know, they've dumped over $60 million in the last few weeks on this race, just on attacks against John. Um, but that should show us how scared they are and how much they want to control this seat. My last question in the last few minutes here is just to sort of circle back to where we started this conversation, because, you know, the campaign was in national headlines last week because of the NBC News interview and also a lot of other reporters sort of doubling down on this narrative um, around accessibility and just the need for closed captioning in an interview. Um, but I, I wanted to sort of leave the voters of Pennsylvania, many of which um, listen to the show as the national radio program. Um, I want to leave the voters of Pennsylvania with, with what you see as the campaign's message around any questions of um, John's ability to do the job. I think, you know, every single candidate has to demonstrate through their message and you know their campaigning that they are up to the task of the job that they're running for that's true for any candidate including your husband and so what is what is the campaign's response to folks who have concerns sure well the response is first you know thank you for your concern we appreciate the love and support we've received across the country after john's stroke and just how many stories of i've gone through a stroke as well and how common um, they are but every doctor on John's team has given full support of this race, that he is perfect cognitively, he can do the job, he is fit to serve. And I think for, for me, even if you know I am married to him, but if I wasn't, um, to me, that makes this more of a, a triumph, triumphant story, right? This is a story of perseverance. This is a story of an American family who have gone through a health challenge. Our family is no different for millions of American families, the thing is that John has had to heal in public, right? Mm -hmm. And with the world watching. But I think that makes him that much more empathetic as a leader and as a politician. And that's who I would want representing me, someone who actually knows the struggle, who has that experience um, and has the compassion to lead. Do you think that we're lacking in empathy in our elected officials? I mean, I've, I, I've, it's, it's a maybe an easy question post Donald Trump, but I also feel like his lack of empathy seemed to be contagious. Yes. <laughs> yes. All caps. Um, we are. And I think what uh, Trump has created is something I don't know that we'll ever get away from. Right. He set this, this new, very low standard of what politicians um, should behave like. And they've all tried to emulate him since. I hope that we get back to a place that's very different than where we are now. 
Um, but I think this unfortunate climate is, is here to stay for a while. You have a very engaged and active progressive following here on the show. How can they help? Well, thank you. We, you know, I love your show. I, I loved being here today with you. Um, you can go to Mobilize. If you just Google Mobilize John Fetterman, there's many ways to, to get involved. If you want to, you know, text bank, if you want to make some calls for us, if you want to donate funds our way, you know, we are fighting against $60 million of attacks. Um, and we're going to keep fighting till, till the last day. But, you know, this is going to decide democracy in our country. And it is on the line. And we always say this is the most important election, but um, it is because it's the truth. This is the most important election. It's like, we said it before, but no, we really mean it this time for real, for real, seriously. <laughs> um, it, it is so true. Um, it is important to protect our democracy going forward. We all cherish it and we want to keep it intact. Second lady of Pennsylvania, Giselle Fetterman, thank you so much for being here this morning. Wife of Senate candidate in Pennsylvania, Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. It's been so great to have you this morning. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Please stay safe. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.